Hey, this is Gina Grad. Hi, this is Teresa Strasser. Hi, everyone. This is Mike Errico. Hey there. This is Casey Cavalier. I'm Rocky Rose. And you are listening to The Jay Franzi Show. Lucky you. Welcome to The Jay Franzi Show. A behind-the-curtain look at the entertainment industry with insights you can't pay for and stories you've never heard. Now, here's your host, Jay Franzi. Well, hello and welcome to the show. Thank you for joining me. I am Jay Franzi. And if you're new here, this is where we take a deep dive into the entertainment industry to provide you with valuable insights and entertaining stories. This week, we get to talk with a singer, a songwriter, and a recording artist. We get to talk with Sarah Ames. We'll talk to her about her move from LA to Nashville, the drive it takes to make it in today's industry, and we'll take a deep dive into her latest single, Heart Thing. Now, Sarah's an amazing songwriter. She's an exceptional recording artist, but most of all, she has an amazing personality. And that personality has been taken over social media. So I can't wait to talk with her tonight. So if you'd like to join in, comment, or fire off any questions, please head over to jfranzi.com. Now let's get started. Ms. Sarah, how are you? Hello. Thank you for having me. It is my absolute pleasure. I know we've been trying to put this together for some time, and I'm just so excited that we've actually made it, and we are here tonight. Me too. Thank you. I would like to just dive in and start and just kind of curious how you um, decided to be in California, make your way to Nashville, and get involved in country music. Yeah, I know. Some people say, why'd you ever leave California? I I love California, but, you know, I wanted to... I wanted to go sing country music in Nashville. So I uh, went to college at uh, USC, which is University of Southern California uh, for two years. I was majoring in popular music there. Learned a lot. It was awesome. But then I dropped out and just wanted to do the damn thing myself. (laughs) And I just, I moved to Nashville at 19, didn't know a soul and just showed up. That's an early age to move that far on your own. Did you find any challenges with that? I did, you know, moving there, not knowing anybody. I mean, I remember talking to my mom on the phone and she was like, Sarah, you've been in Nashville for three days and haven't left your apartment. Like, go, go do something like nothing's going to happen with you in your apartment. And so I actually, I took a cab. It was before Uber, (laughs) took a cab to Bluebird Cafe I went there by myself and um, watched a show and honestly started meeting Nashville people that night and people that I've now known for years starting that night. So it's pretty cool. But yeah, it was definite challenges and you don't know anybody and you just got to kind of make your own friends and meet your own people and be really brave. Well, that's a good thing about Nashville, right? I mean, it's a community-based area and the Bluebird itself is specifically for songwriters. You couldn't pick a better place to go hang out because... People are respectful of not only the the song and the artist performing the song, but then they like to network and they hang out afterwards and they want to, you know, collaborate, co-write with each other. So did you start collaborating and co-writing with people at that point? I did. I actually had, at the time I had business cards made 
And so I went up to these writers after and was like, you know, hi, I'm Sarah. You know, I would love to write some time and gave them my little business card. And none of them reached out to me at all. I actually ended up finding them all on Facebook and messaging them. But I actually did get um, a couple co-writes from that, just putting myself out there. You know, I didn't even have original songs recorded at the time. I just had some covers recorded and I was just like, listen to my voice. And it worked out at that point. It started the snowball. You know, it was uh, it was fun. Well, that's cool. And I want to ask you some questions about that. But you mentioned cover and real quick, I saw yeah. one of your TikToks. You did a cover of Fast Car, Tracy yeah. Chapman. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of seems like you're sitting in some sort of cabin from the look of it. And you're, you're singing it with just an acoustic. And it just came across yeah. with more feeling than what I think Tracy put into it in the first place. And being a Bostonian where Tracy was discovered, that means a lot. So, Wow. Well, that's a huge compliment. Thank you. I, I really look up to her. And actually, it's my favorite song in the whole world. So, And I just, I love her voice. And it's just so unique and effortless. And singing that song. It's just really, it really hits my heart because it's, it's my favorite for sure. It's a great song. I mean, it really is. And yeah. she was discovered in Harvard Square in Boston. And oh, wow. she recorded at a studio that I used to work at. And I was oh, cool. not the one who got to do it. So oh, it didn't quite work yeah. out, but that's okay. Dang. Close, Dang. close, but not there. So the time writing and the people that you met at the Bluebird and the connections you started to make, when you were starting to reach out for those people, it had to be a little nerve-wracking at that time. When you got that first acceptance, who was it and what did you write? Absolutely. It was definitely nerve-wracking. I think it was a lady named Bonnie Baker who was playing that night. And I don't remember what we wrote, but she introduced me to another writer, Forrest Whitehead, who later went on to do a bunch of stuff with Kelsey Ballerini and um, kind of made his own name for himself. But at the time, I mean, we all just were trying to just write songs and, you know, kind of find our way. But it was just a lot of like, I mean, I sent a lot of messages of like, hi, I'm Sarah, you know, and a lot of no responses or a lot of excuses of like, oh, great. Like, I'll check you out, you know, and nothing. But that's just the music business. You know, it's fine. I know that, you know, at the time they, they don't they don't care to write with me. They don't know me. You know, it was just, you know, you just have to you just have to keep going until someone says yes. <laughs> Well, yeah, that's that's what it takes, especially in Nashville. It's all about that tenacity and hanging in there. It's the drive that matters yeah. more than anything. Mm -hmm. I mean, I worked 10 years up in Boston and New York before I moved to Nashville and spent 20 years in Nashville. And I don't really think it was till 15 years into my time in Nashville where I really started working on things I was that proud of in the, yeah. that time. But it mm -hmm. takes a lot. You got to you know, cut your teeth somehow. And a lot of bad songs, a lot of what? very bad songs, and a lot of learning, and still learning, and always learning. Well, that's what I was just going to ask you. When you are when you first go in to write, I assume the first time meeting with one of these people that finally says yes, how nervous are you? Really nervous. It depends who they are, too. You know, if it's someone that you really know and look up to, I mean you're nervous. At least I was for certain writers and still am just the ones that you just, 
or a little bit of a fan over, you know, but then other people, it's just, it's just easier. And, you know, you're kind of more peers and just, just friends. And, but I, I always like to come into my rights prepared with some, something, some, a few things, you know, so I'm definitely preparing for those rights where I'm, I'm nervous and for sure. (laughs) Well, I can only imagine that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Right. If you don't come in with something, you spend the first, you know, it's not that long of a session typically. And you, right. you come in and you spend three quarters of that time just, what should we write about? I don't know. Let's right. write about this. Right. And if you, and if, if you respect their work, I think you making the effort to come in with stuff, I think is a, is a good reflection on you and, you know, just helps you in the room trying to prove yourself to, a seasoned writer, you know? So you said that you, you go through a lot of bad songs before you get to a good one. Mm-hmm. How long do you mm-hmm. think it took you before you finally hit one that you liked or you were proud of? <laughs> well, I still write bad songs, but gosh, well, you know, what's That's funny. The, the is, marketing for the show tonight. I still write yeah, bad, bad songs. Song. Yeah, it's true. But, um, you know, I think it, in the moment you don't really necessarily know. Maybe there's a few you know that aren't great, but in the moment you don't really know that they're maybe not going to stick around long, you know. But then as the years pass, as the months pass, you know, you you go back and listen to your work and you're like, "Oh, I could have done better with this or what was I thinking here?" you know. So, it's just it's always a a learning process. But yeah, I mean, I I would listen to most of the songs I wrote when I was that age, 19, you know, moving here. And I probably would never sing them out in public now, but (laughs) you know, but that's, but it's part of building that muscle, you know, you gotta, you gotta get it out. You gotta try it out. And then, you know, you grow. Yeah. So when you were writing these songs, were they always intended for you to sing or were they ever intended to sell to somebody else? Um, I, in some of my rights, they were with bigger artists than me, for sure. So I would be happy to write a song for them or for somebody else to sing. I mean, that would be an honor. I think having another artist cut your songs, even if you are an artist, is an amazing door opener for you. Yeah, so some so some songs were not for me, for sure. Yeah. And... When you set out to write a song that's not for you, do you have a person in mind when you're writing it? You know, I, I don't I don't usually go into a write being like, you know, because there's some there's some art or uh, writers on Music Row that know, for example, Carrie Underwood's cutting right now. Let's go in and write a Carrie Underwood song. For me, I was always more of an artist writer, meaning I wasn't always just writing for the cut you know, I didn't know who was cutting or not, you know, I just went in and usually wrote for me. But if, if there was another artist in the room and the song was kind of going more towards them, we'd write for them. Or if maybe we're in the room and the song is just coming out and it's not really a me song, but like, dang, this would be great for, you know, I don't know, Luke Bryan or something. Then we would angle the song that way. But for me, I never really went in being like, oh, you know, uh, Blake Shelton's in the middle of cutting his record right now. You know, let's try to write a, a Blake Shelton song. That was just not really my thing. But there are a lot of writers that do that. 
for sure. Oh, yeah. No, we used to get yeah. tip sheets all the time, who's cutting yeah. and what they're in need of. Yeah. It's funny. You know who's cutting, you know what they're in need of, and then you try to write a song that fits that. I'm more like you. I don't think that works. It doesn't work for me. I'd rather just write right. from the heart and whatever I write. If right. you like it, great. If you don't, right. that's okay, too. Yeah. But we've done a few of them. We've done a few for publishing companies, for movies and things. You know, they say, you know, write a song in the vein of Matchbox 20. And you know, right. then you, you're writing something yeah. like that. I have done a couple sync rights where, you know, writing a song that would seem to be kind of universal and, and played in a show or movie or something like that. But I guess that's a, that's about it. <laughs> yeah. No, I get it. So... I've I've listened to all, all of your music at this point. I, I really do enjoy it. I'm not just saying Thank that I do you. enjoy it. I think you have a really Thank great you. voice. Thanks. But I have noticed that you seem to be coming into your own more lately than at the start. Mm -hmm. So do you feel that, that same way that you're finally starting to find a groove that fits you? Yeah, I do. I mean, I think my latest work is my personal favorite and best work. And, you know, I, I've worked with different, you know, writers on some of the songs. So now these songs are with different writers and also different producers. So the sound has, has slightly changed and it's definitely naturally morphed into to something else. And it wasn't necessarily on purpose of like, oh, we're going to, I want to go this direction, but it just kind of turned into its own thing. Well, it sounds like at the beginning, things were very traditionally Nashville. And yeah. it sounds like things were done in a very traditional Nashville way, which is yeah. good. People like that, and it's very commercial. But yeah. I think lately, the the later singles seem to be more of a personality-based thing. Like you're writing based on your own pain or your own feelings. And I think that adds a whole different level of authenticity to the to the right. Yeah, thank you. I'd like to talk about some of those songs. I mean, yeah. let's just start with this the single, Heart-Shaped Hole. I mean, yeah. can you give me a little bit of a background about that? Yeah, you know, that's actually the first song that I've recorded that I didn't write. I did not write that. That was Haley Witters, Jeremy Spillman, and Ryan Tyndall that wrote that one. And I was pitched that song, and I I loved it. And... I wasn't sure yet if I could cut it. I didn't know if Haley was going to record it, if she wanted it. And sure enough, she ended up not cutting it. And she was like, yeah, I'm totally cool if you cut it. So I was like, thanks. All right, I'm going to go for it and went for it. And then we just, we, we, uh, we cut it. And, you know, Ryan Tyndall was, was one of the producers. And so he was also a writer on that song too. So, you know, it, it kind of, was cool because he already was super familiar with the song. He did the demo for the song. And so he had some great ideas, you know, when we went in the studio and really cut it, he already kind of knew, knew it and then added more stuff. Well, let's talk about that for a minute. I know you had collaborating producers that helped you. What was their production process like? Yeah. Um, we decided on what we wanted to cut and then, 
we, or I believe they did some pre-production stuff. So Ryan and Oscar Charles, and then the engineer slash bass player, uh, Jordan Rigby all got together in Oscar and Jordan's studio for a few days and just kind of ran through the songs, played with some ideas. And then when they felt good, kind of pre-production wise, we picked our days to actually go in the studio and pretty much they did the songs live together, at least the drums, the bass, and maybe an acoustic. And they would kind of play everything together almost live and capture those takes. And then, of course, they would overdub like parts that needed maybe some fixing. And, and then they would add other parts and things like that. And then during that time, I sang a scratch vocal for them just to reference. And then after I went in and did vocals separately. And then there were background vocals done separately from that. And then we did have a couple players come in and add some more parts. I think we had keys come in and um, uh, another guitar come in. Yeah, it was uh, it was over a couple weeks and it was a really, really cool process. They're, they're brilliant. They're amazing. Well, you mentioned that the engineer played bass. Did the producers yeah. play instruments? Yeah. Or yeah. What, what instruments did they play? Yeah. So Oscar is a fantastic drummer. So he played the drums. And then Ryan is an insane guitar player and singer, but he played acoustic. He's just so talented. Played some acoustic, played some electric, and then, uh, and then, yeah, and Jordan was on bass. So it was cool. It was kind of like, you know, we, we got them doing production, we got them playing, you know, you got to try to, Make use of make use of your dime and kind of kill kill. I, well, I love birds, but kill two birds with one stone. You know what I mean? <laughs> so well, I mean, I think production teams like that are the better teams, in my opinion. I like when because you get more unique music, and I think that's where that feeling of your new music being a little bit more passionate. I think to me is because it's a team yeah. working on it versus more of a manufacturing type thing. Yeah. So was he the one who played the? The guitar lick, that's that kind of almost low resonating guitar throughout the song, it played a unique signature lick between first and second verse. Oh, yeah, that was Ryan. Yeah, that was Ryan. That was it. Thank you. That was in the demo. And, you know, that only is in the song one time. And yep. then that's it. It's like you want to hear it more, but. It's kind of the magic of it's it. It's in I guess. the song one time, but it it lays down the mood of the song. It kind of gives that that feeling because it's a lower register than a typical guitar yeah. or a lead guitar in a song. Yeah, I thought that was pretty slick. Cool. Yeah, I loved it too. So, how many songs did you go in and record at that time? We did five, five songs. You know, we had a Nix, the sixth song. We were debating. We ended up nixing it, but I still, I've been messing with the melody of that song because I just love the, the song that we nixed. I, I, I love the lyric of it so much. So you never know. I could I could record it in the future, but we cut five. Well, yeah, when you're going in, you have to take more things into account than the song itself. So sometimes songs get left off a project, even though you really are passionate about the song. So I can understand it. Yeah. Like you said, next time, right? Next time, you know... It was like, okay, let's just have a bunch of bangers, <laughs> but watch it, but watch it be the one that, you know, you leave out as the one that, that changes the game for you. Right. But no, it's, it's, I, I, I might in the future. 
Let's go ahead um, and talk about the rest of the songs here, because I, I yeah. think they all have some sort of unique feel to them. So how about Heart Thing? Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, that song is really close to my heart because it's it just it tells my story 100%. You know, I live on a farm. I have the chickens. I have the garden. <laughs> I've got the rescue dogs, you know, and I, a bunch of space. And it truly feeds my soul. And that's what that song is about because I I grew up in this in a suburb in California. You know, I wasn't really a country girl. You know, I did some yard work, but like I wasn't out there scooping There's chicken no shit or you know. There's yeah. No, so. no grass, no trees. <laughs> um so you know, it's it's interesting because people, you know, some people are like, "Oh, you can't be country because you're from there or whatever." But it's like, I don't know, but it is somewhere deep inside, and um, and that's why I just feel like it's a heart thing, you know. And it has been my life now for the last, I don't know, seven years or so, and um, I, I just I, I truly love it so. Yeah, it's just I guess it's a little bit autobiographical. So that's why it's, it's really close to my song. heart. Yeah. 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 yeah I like yeah. it a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, I, yeah. I like the actual true references really make a difference to me. So I Thanks. enjoyed that and, for sure. Yeah. And I feel like it's universal too. You know, it tells my story, but it also tells other people's story. You know, they don't have to be they don't have to be from some nowhere town to resonate with a Kenny Chesney song. Maybe they, they feel it in, in their own life in ways. And so, you know, that's, it's meant for, for others too. Oh, absolutely. People hear songs in different ways all the time. And it, it's funny how they not only adapt the feeling of the song, because ultimately that's what they leave with, but they also adapt lyrics in some cases to fit their, their life and their story because Right. You know, they're looking for that connection for themselves. How can I relate to this song? And I think your song does that. It doesn't only do it with with your background and you living on a farm now and all that stuff, but it's a move. It's the stress of a move. It's the it's everything that goes behind it that I think people can relate to. So I really do right. like that. But I have yeah. to I have to know how far outside of Nashville could you possibly be to have a farm? <laughs> Twenty five minutes. Really? That's it? It's yeah, it's not too bad. Yeah, got no neighbors, you know. It's just That's insane. Oasis. <laughs> I mean, I, I've lived anywhere from 15 minutes outside of Nashville itself. I've lived in Bellevue, Brentwood. Yeah. And I've lived as far south as Murfreesboro. Yeah. But, I mean, the way Nashville's growing so fast, it's hard to imagine something that close to Nashville that you can— I know. You have animals. It's a bit— you know, the area I'm in is still a bit untouched by by the Nashville people. So it's only a matter of time. But for now, we're good. <laughs> yeah, that, I think that's why my, the family and I, we crossed the border over into Kentucky because it's, yeah. uh, you know, it's a little bit less busy at this point. Yeah. I like it. We're in the country. If we want to go to a city, we can either head back down to Nashville or we can head up to Cincinnati and we get two big cities and we're in the middle in the country and it's Works out Perfect. just great for us. Perfect. <laughs> All right. I got a, a, another song that I want to know. What was going through your mind when you wrote it? And were you nervous at all about releasing it? 
So you have a song called Stoned, and in Nashville, that could go one of two ways. Yeah. So can you tell me what was going through your mind? Yeah, I actually, you know, um, that's really funny because I was nervous to release that song at the time. I thought, oh gosh, you know, what? what? I didn't know that people were going to play it. I didn't know if anyone was going to play it or people would be offended, you know, all of that. So I, I was, but I actually got that idea because um, I was stoned on a Sunday and I was kind of just outside at my chicken coop and letting the chickens out. And I was kind of like stone on a Sunday. <laughs> and then uh, <laughs> I, um, I don't know. I just thought that was kind of, it kind of stuck. And then when I, when I brought that in to the right, Danny Myrick, the, the guy I wrote it with was like, you know, man, there's a lot of meetings we could play with, with that. And we really, um, dove into it and, uh, it really turned out to be a cool song that, um, I, you know, it's funny. I think it really resonated with a lot of people and even with people that I thought would maybe be offended by that reference. Um, it's cool because some, some people just took it kind of in a, in a, just a purely biblical sense of, you know, stoning someone. So, um, some, they, some people didn't even really reference the other meaning. So it's just to each their own, you know, whatever, whatever meaning you want to, you know, relate to. <laughs> well, I laugh about it a little bit because when I first got to Nashville and this was back in the nineties and when I first got there, if a song like that came across the desk, people probably would pass on it. <laughs> you know, at that time, they pass on a lot of songs yeah. that were like that. Yeah. But now it seems like people are open to it, not only open to subject matter, but they're taking a more aggressive feel to the songs and they're adding more rock. Yeah. We always said that country music was maybe 10 years behind rock music and the things we did in rock music would eventually make their way down to country music. Yeah. And I think there's some truth to that. But your songs kind of reflect that. You have some you know, rockish type songs. And those are the type yeah. I like. I, being from Boston, <laughs> I recorded a lot of rock music. Yeah. And living in Nashville, we recorded country. So I do appreciate that. And you have some some songs that definitely have that flavor to them. But that particular one I thought was cool because not only does it tell a, a, a story that's probably a little on the edge of your side, for Nashville anyway, but the video that supports it, it adds two things to me that kind of make you stand out a little bit. One is the story and the edginess, <laughs> but two is the humor that goes into what you do. Because sometimes I hear the humor in your lyrics. Sometimes <laughs> I see it in the videos, but there's always humor. So is that something <laughs> that is just naturally comes out of you? Oh yeah, definitely. I'm pretty outgoing. I'm pretty tell it like it is, you know, Friends have called me, you know, Sarah, no filter, no filter aims. <laughs> so sometimes <laughs> I, can see it, for um, sure. I will just say what some, it'll take others a six pack to say, you know. So, yeah. So it's just cool to kind of let that come out and push some buttons and I don't know, loosen up a I little bit, I guess. <laughs> I do. I appreciate yeah. it. It's funny. I mean, my wife's <laughs> from Tennessee and me being yeah. the Yankee. And there's always that little rub, but yeah. my wife is funny. In private, she'll laugh, she'll joke, she'll say things to me. But when we're out in public, things just quiet down a little bit. 
And <laughs> I, I don't. I don't quiet right. down. I, I joke with the waiter or the waitress when we're out, you know, right. at a restaurant. I joke with people, and she's always like, I don't know how you can keep talking to everybody. I'm like, I don't know. I don't know how you can not talk to people. Right. So, exactly. I yeah. It. I think it's just, you know, in some people's personality. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> so whose idea was it for that, that video concept? You know, me and uh, one of my best friends, Danny Wheeler, she is uh, been really involved in a lot of my music video concepts. She's actually in the music video. She is the shoplifting girl that gets slammed yep. against the wall and arrested in that video. But we just kind of had this idea of like, let's have, you know, all of these different kind of sins happening, you know, and just let it all kind of culminate into the, just this mess. And you know, that it's just basically everybody is, is sinning in their own way. And you just, you can't judge your neighbor basically. And that's kind of what the moral of the video is. So. No, it's definitely got many layers to it and <laughs> I, I, I love it. But what I, I love the most is the nosy neighbor next door who's trimming the artificial grass throughout the entire video. Ah, yeah. Ah, yeah. Uh-huh. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, that, that's just too funny. Yeah. I mean, we're trimming artificial grass, but, and then there's the religious piece to it where right. you got the pasture in there and that's right. funny too. I mean, again, right. it, it has humor and it's adding humor to it to show you that right. it's not all that bad. Exactly. Exactly. All right. So let's move <laughs> on to, to, um, to bitch can't drive. <laughs> bitch can drive. <laughs> oh, bitch, uh, yes, so sorry, I got that one wrong. <laughs> bitch can drive. Yes. Oh, Tell man. me the background about that. That is a true story. Um, 100%. I was high-speed chased by my now husband's ex-girlfriend. When we first started dating, she was waiting you know, she found his motorcycle basically in town, um, in a parking lot. We had gone to dinner and I was dropping him off at his motorcycle. Um, and he was going to go home and she was waiting by his motorcycle. And he was like, Oh my God, that's her drive. Go, go, go. And this has been after <laughs> a lot of messages from her and just, it was kind of the cherry on top of a lot of crazy, crazy things. And so, um, a, literally a high speed chase happened. And I, <laughs> I mean, I just would, you know, be winding through these streets and stuff. And I'd look in my rear view and I thought I lost her. And then Was sure enough, no, uh, yeah, it's just in Midtown in Nashville. Midtown of all places. Yeah. And I, well, and then it got on the free, you know, the freeway going and I look in my rear view and I'm like, okay, good. I lost her, you know, and here she comes, no headlights on a hundred miles an hour. You know, he's on the phone with her like, okay, you need to stop. You know, this is ridiculous. And so I was like, at this point, I was like, well, if this is going to go down, you know, I'm just going to go to a police station or something. And this is just going to go down in the parking lot there. Then, you know, I'd never had anything like this before. This was just next level. Turns out the police station I was going to go to, she said that she dated a cop there and they all knew her already and big fans of her. And I, I don't, I don't even know. Anyway, 
the end of the story was I just turned around and ended up dropping him back off at his motorcycle and she got angry with me. She got angry with him. And that was, that was kind of the end, but it was just this, this moment that in, I just like could not believe that this was real and this was happening. It was just like psychotic, like it would be in a movie. So I had to write about it and that that's what happened. <laughs> I, I've got way too many questions for this. Way yeah. Too many. Well, I need to know how, how far into the relationship was this? Um, we had been seeing each other maybe for like a month. So it was really new. And so yeah. a month, it's still a new relationship. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. I mean, obviously mm-hmm. you've, you made it through, you got right. <laughs> far along, you got married. Right. So it, things worked out. But right. what had to be going through your mind at that time? I mean, were you thinking you're, you're nuts, you're crazy, this is ridiculous? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, my good friends were like telling me to run. They were like, this guy, this just doesn't, this seems just sketchy. This doesn't seem good, you know? But I seemed to kind of trust his character and he assured me that he was going to get it under control. And sure enough, she did chill out. She did, though, for a while after show up at places that we would go, friends of mine's shows or just certain things. She would kind of be there. Seem a little creepy. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of weird. But she did chill out there for a bit so well that's good Um, (laughs) good that everything's peaceful does she know the songs about her i wonder that i really wonder that i really would love to know it i I mean i kind of hope she does i hope she does right i mean i would think there's no possible way she can't know right i mean i I guess that's if she still looks at anything of mine anymore or you know or listens to the music but if she you know if she does, she's got to she's got to know. <laughs> well, how long ago was it? Uh 7 years ago, 8 years ago. Yeah, it's been yeah, a while. That's, a, that's good but, enough. That's that's enough time yeah. for things to pass. Yeah, so yeah. You, I don't know, but then again, she But then again, she kind of went the extra mile during all that, so maybe maybe uh everything <laughs> lasts a little longer for her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so Maybe you wrote the song over it now yeah you had, to, you had to write a song about it. it did you take on I a did. co-writer for that one yeah um wrote it with uh ryan tyndall and um jeremy spillman and both did of those they, guys are are wordsmiths so we had some fun <laughs> were they like wondering what is this what the hell is going on yeah, I mean, they we were kind of playing around with some ideas, and I I brought this idea in, and I said, you know, that bitch, this, 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 that bitch, and so Jeremy's like, the bitch, okay, the bitch, and then it was like, I, you know, I said, there's something with like driving a car. I mean, she could really drive a car, and then she was also driving him crazy, and and then so Jeremy's just like, oh, okay, and his wheels are turning. He's like, okay, so say what you want about the bitch, but the bitch can drive. And I was like, that is it. You know, or like, I'm sorry, drove, she, she drove his ass crazy. Now she's on mine. Say what you want about the <laughs> bitch, but the bitch can drive. And I was like, Oh my gosh. Okay. Jeremy, <laughs> that's it. And, um, yeah, so we had a lot of fun. I mean, I think they, they kind of, they enjoyed, enjoyed the story and, um, 
I guess just cult, just use the term that I used. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we were going to do a, a music video for it, but it ended up not working out. But I had uh, some fun ideas for that. We are, we, well, I don't know. We're not, we're not friends now, but I did go into TJ Maxx a while back and she was like, Sarah? I was like, oh, hi. You know, she acted like she was my friend right there, but. Uh, From behind was, the mirror in the it. dressing room, she pops out. Right? Yeah, no. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's like, wow. Hey. <laughs> yeah, hey, good to yeah. see you. I got to go. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's too funny. It, like I said, it's the humor of all that that cracks me up. But so you go in, you, you write the song, you know, you get your co writers, you put the song together. Then you go in the studio and you record it. Was this recorded as one of those five songs? Yes. Yeah. All right. So you're getting that that you know personalization to your songs and yeah. that humor and that feel and everything in the drive. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think these songs are yeah. kind of, you know get some drive to them. Yeah. So, are you starting now as a writer and as an artist at this point in the career when you're writing these songs and you're releasing these singles and they appear to be doing very well? So congratulations. So, thank you. Do you feel as if now you're coming into your own? Do you? truly feel like you're making some ground in Nashville? Yeah, I do. I mean, there's always another mountain to climb. I think the thing that I've, I've learned the most is, um, it's what you, it's the effort that you put in and what you make of it yourself. I mean, I think your presence online and your interaction online is what I feel like makes it or breaks it for anybody, small to big. I just think these days, like, you've got to be present to win. You've got to share your music. You've got, you know, these these label people are all looking at that stuff. That's all that they, they care about. And so for me, I'm like, well, if that's all they care about, then that's all that I care about. And I'm just going to, not for them, but for myself, if that's, if that's what makes things work, you know, then that, that's just what I need to do. And that's coming into, into my own that way. And, you know, really trying to do what I can to make my stuff heard and, and, you know, work. And uh, I think, you know, that's, that is coming into your own in terms of just, figuring out, you know, your musical path, your, the way you want to share it. It's all changed so much too, you know, since I've moved to Nashville, you know, before it used to be like, Oh, the, the record label and all that is the only way. And you got to go get a publishing deal and you got to, you know, now it's like, you got to just do it yourself and, and, and make it up yourself. Have lost their leverage. You're right. They've lost their leverage because of social media. I mean, they still have, Ultimately, a label is nothing other than a bank, so Correct. they provide you money when needed. Right. But you, you're conquering social media. You're putting yourself out there, and I love the way you do that with humor as well. And I mean, you even say that, hey, it's it's time now that I have to come out here and promote my product. So therefore, I don't want to annoy you, but here I am. And right. you're just upfront and honest with it all, and it's like, right. okay, well, that's a great way of looking at it. But I love the fact that you're telling your stories and you're being personal on TikTok or things like Thanks. that. I, um, you know, I, I definitely want to, 
to do more. I just, um, to be honest, I think like a lot of people, I have a love hate relationship with social media. It's hard to put yourself out there and be vulnerable. Are people going to like this post? Uh, am I being annoying or, you know, like whatever the, the crap that goes on in your head, you know, you know, sometimes it's hard, it's hard to get past. And I, I personally have that relationship with social media where it's, um, it's sometimes hard for me to be as, present as I want to be, you know, as fearlessly present, but I'm working on that. And, you know, for me, I think that's a really big priority, you know, going forward because I just, I just think that you have, you, I I just, I want to be, I want to be present and I want to, you know, share, share with people and, and yeah. Yeah. It's tough. I mean, everybody struggles with that because if you're on social media, you're not working on your your craft. And if you're working on your craft, you're not on social media. So Correct. you have to find that balance and you have to find the times yeah. to do both. And when can exactly. you fit it in? When can you not? And it's mm-hmm. not just posting stuff on social media, but it's responding to the comments you get and, mm-hmm. and talking to people and developing those relationships. So you have right. those fans that come out to see you when you go play and Again, that's what it's all about, right? We're building oh, yeah. engagement so yeah. they show up to your shows. And again, right. that's what the record labels are desiring. So right. when you're doing this, I know it's tough, but are you setting you know, time to engage? Are you trying to fit it in as like time-wise? How, how can you fit it into your career and be consistent? Yeah, um, I, I would say consistency is something... Um, that I'm working on in terms of consistency with posting and, you know, making sure I read everything and, you know, all of that. Cause I, I appreciate it so much, you know, my music would not be heard if it weren't for those that are exactly. interacting and listen, you know, and listening. And so, yeah, I actually, I, I create for my personal self, I create a schedule every morning. I write it out. And just kind of looking at my day and like, okay, from this time for this time, I have this meeting, you know, this time to this time, this hour, I'm going to use to go through comments this time to this time, I'm going to work on a new post this time to this time, I'm going to practice. And some days, though, I find myself, for example, getting a little caught up in the practicing part and playing, and then I'm playing for five hours, and then I didn't do my pose, <laughs> and then it's time to do something else, and you're like, oh, shit. So, you know, I, I try to stick with it, though, and and uh, really just get get the stuff out there, and it's, it's a, you know, it's your job. You got to, you got to do that. Well, you got to also realize too, I mean, being a musician, being a songwriter, it's creative and posting on social media and stuff is administrative. It can be creative, but for us promoting and Mm -hmm. trying to develop that, it's more administrative. So when you're blocking time, like you're describing, that can be done for administrative purposes. You block the time, you read your posts, you respond to people. It's not something you have to sit down and be creative about like when you're writing songs or like when you're practicing the guitar or those type of things. Right. So I think when those moments strike, take advantage of them. You know, right. don't, yeah. don't let those moments go. Capitalize right. on the, exactly. the writing or the you know, no, practice. You can always go back to the administrative stuff. So No, 
Totally. But I mean, you're doing it. I mean, you, you've got one hell of a following already. You got thousands of followers, multiples of thousands of followers across all your platforms. Do you ever feel like this is all happening? You know, and is it real? Yeah, I mean, it's it's been a it's been a really cool process, you know, because I started putting stuff on YouTube when I was 14, 15 years old. So, you know, I have people that have followed me since then. And so it's really cool to have some of these people over the years still be around and still be there. And then, you know, people find you for different, different things. I mean, I, I would say back in February, I posted a, a video that went a little crazy over a, 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 an emaciated dog and her puppies that I found on the side of the road. And so that whole story definitely added to, you know, new followers and, and new people, So there's just been several things. And then obviously just, you know, music stuff along the way. Someone's like, oh, I turned on CMT and your video was on there, you know, loved it, you know, whatever. It's just, it's just fun to, to people just kind of come along and, you know, it's, it's a slow growing, growing thing, you know, but I'm excited to to keep going and kind of, kind of see where it goes. Do you feel like a lot of the marketing efforts fall on your shoulders personally? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and there's so many, there's so many things you could do. You could go and pay for advertising and do meta ads, um, Instagram ads, TikTok ads. There's so many things you can do. I tried on my own to do the ads for when Heart Thing came out. I I did a lot of YouTube videos of learning and trying to see how to do all of that um, using the Facebook business manager and all of that. And um, unfortunately, I did make some mistakes where I think a lot of the the money that I put in was wasted. It wasn't just because I had, you know, just, just, just computer stuff that just went straight over my head, (laughs) pixels and this and that. And it's just like, oh my gosh. So for me, I've kind of decided that going forward basis, I'm just going to kind of advertise organically. So post, share my stuff. And, you know, if, if people like what they see, they can follow along and, you know, TikTok, for example, and Instagram reels, automatically sends your stuff to new people. So you're already almost getting free advertising in that, in that sense. So that's kind of cool. They, you know, they send it to people they think will like it. And then, you know, if no one likes it, your post just kind of dies and you're on to the next one. No, that's a good point too. And I was talking to somebody just a couple weeks ago and we saw this new artist perform. He did very well. It was a really great show. I, I really thought it was good. But he didn't capitalize on the moment that he could have. He was playing in front of 30,000 people. Wow. And not one time did he mention his social media or anything like that. And as the opening act, I thought he was missing an opportunity that he could have said, hey, while we're all here and you all have your phones in your hand, can you do me a favor and just go ahead over here and follow me on this platform? Right. And if he had just done that, he could have just absolutely got that. And I know mm-hmm. you're playing a lot of shows. You play a lot of different areas. You can always capitalize on that. You're playing to a new audience all the time. So right. you have something that others don't have. Yeah. You know, I think it's not just your personality. It's not just the humor, which are big helps. Because once you get there, <laughs> you got to keep them, right? Right. But you have the ability to, 
to perform in front of all these people and I think they'll want to follow you. You just have to invite them. If you don't put it out right. there, they don't know. They don't think about it. Right. Yeah, I think a little a little nudge, a, a little suggestion never never hurt for sure. Especially when like if you're the opening act opening for a major artist where you're performing in front of 30,000 people, take advantage of that. Oh, yeah. Now the one thing he did that I thought was really smart, there was three acts when he was done, he said, hey, look, I'll be over at the merch table signing, you know, taking pictures yeah. and signing autographs. Yep. So that was a great move. Absolutely. Yeah, I would I would go and um, just be at the merch table, you know, after. And so that that was that that's been a good way to meet people and, you know, say, hey, and maybe they'll buy a shirt or something. But that's definitely a smart move for sure. Yeah. Well, while we're talking about this, let me ask you, we do this thing here we call Unsung Heroes, where we always try to shine the light on somebody who doesn't typically get some recognition. Is there anybody who's helped support you behind the scenes? It could be like family member assistance, anybody mm. that you'd like to shine a little light on, give a little recognition to? Yeah. I mean, I would say, obviously, my now you know husband has been huge in that. But I would also say that um, there's an agent uh, in Nashville. His name's Joey Lee, and he just really changed the game for me and just believed in me when no one did and just opened a lot of doors, introduced me to a lot of people. And, you know, he had a lot bigger fish to fry than me, but he was just he always has just been a, a just a champion for me and um, I'm just forever grateful to him for sure. Well, that's fantastic. When that yeah. happened, you know, what, what was the mindset at that point? How'd that make you feel? I mean, it, it was amazing. I mean, I, I met him, I went to a show by myself in Nashville and I was just sitting there and I didn't know who I was sitting next to. And he was just like, what's your name? <laughs> like, I'm Sarah. He was like, Oh, I'm Joey. And you know, we got to talking and, um, I, you know, share with him my music and, and all of that. But it, it always, it kind of lit a, it, it burned my fire, I guess, brighter each day of like, okay, you know, I don't know. It was a little bit of the tank. Yeah. Yeah. It, it did. I'm like, okay, yeah, I am. I am. I am onto something here. I am. I, you know, my belief in myself has just been affirmed a little bit. Right. And so, yeah, it felt it felt really it felt really nice. And what was the biggest lesson you pulled out of it? Hmm. Um, he was a big straight shooter. Um, he I'm speaking like he was, he is a big straight <laughs> shooter. So you know, I would send a song. He'll say, "I I hate it." <laughs> I mean, he will just tell me. He might be. I mean, he's probably wrong because he's a a booking agent and. You know, they say, oh, booking mm-hmm. agents don't know songs from a label exec. So never trust a booking agent. They don't I've know songs. I've seen many label execs that don't know they anything don't, either. Right, exactly. <laughs> so I would just, yeah, I, I would say that, you know, he was always very, very, or has always been very a straight shooter with me. And he has always wanted me to unapologetically be myself and to not kind of be meek in any way 
be brave and strong and do what I want and not let the industry crush me in any way, you know? And so that, that's the biggest thing is just, he would out. I mean, he would always just say, got got to keep having those balls, Sarah, like keep going, keep going, yeah. like keep, you know? So yeah. Well, you can see it. You come across confident <laughs> and tough. So I like that. So I, yeah. I do. I, I absolutely love the fact you come across confident and tough yeah. and you're out there putting it on the line and it feels trying. like it's you. It doesn't feel yeah. like you're trying to fit a mold. Yeah. So wh- what has changed in your career since meeting him? He he helped orchestrate a couple deals, which allowed me to record music, you know, so that was that was huge to be able to fund that and get that out there. He, just just through all that, he he helped me have a, a social media team, a publicist, you know, just get into a lot of meetings that I wouldn't have been able to get into. And yeah, I mean, honestly, just really opened some doors for me, for sure. Now, I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. Sarah is not only an amazing artist, but she has a great sense of humor. So please join me in giving her a big thanks for taking the time to share her stories with us. And thank you for taking the time to hang with me here. I really do appreciate it. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend. You can do that and find the links to everything mentioned over at jfranzi.com slash episode 34. Thanks again for listening, and I'll catch you next week. Thanks for listening to The Jay Franzi Show. Make sure you visit us at jfranzi.com. Follow, connect, and say hello. This episode has been brought to you by VR Knives, your source for 100% custom knives made by a true rock star. So if you're in the market for a new piece of art, reach out to VR Knives. 407-421-5528. 407-421-5528.